Our scripture this evening is found in Psalm 6, as we have been doing for some time now. We're working our way through the Psalms during our uh, evening uh, service. And so tonight we will be looking at Psalm 6. Uh, then next week, unusually enough, we'll be looking at Psalm 7. Uh, I have preached Psalm 8 in the past, so when we get to that, we will uh, move on over that. But Psalm 6 tonight. Nobody makes it through this world unscathed. David is certainly one that shows us in Scripture that here was a man that his heart was after God's own heart. And yet, through various circumstances, some of his own making and some not of his own making, he found himself in times and seasons when he needed to cry out to God for God's mercy and God's grace. And that's what David is teaching us to do in Psalm 6. Psalm 6, verses 1 through 10. And in honor of the reading of God's word, let's stand. For the choir director with stringed instruments, upon an eight-string lyre, a psalm of David, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed and my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord. Rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. For there is no mention of you in death. In Sheol, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word. And God, we just thank you uh, that you illumined the heart and mind of David when you gave to him this perfect and infallible word. And God, we pray that you would illumine our hearts and minds this evening as well. And Lord, we're just so thankful that your word shows us that we can be honest with you, that we can be real with you, that we can come and, and have a conversation with you and, 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 and come to an understanding of, of, of what you would have us to do. God, we love you with all of our soul. We trust you with all of our heart. And we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer. In and through the name of our risen Lord and Master, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Excuse me, for most of us in this room, as we get a little older, a little older, our health is one of the things that is at the top of our mind. In the year 2020, Americans spent 
trillion dollars on health care. Now, if you're someone like Angie and I or the SEALs, you feel like you spent all of that yourself, okay, <laughs> that, that that was what your hospital bill was when, when you got out. You're going, good golly, I didn't know there was that much money in the world. It works out to about uh, $12,900 per person. Health care consumed almost 20% of the U.S. gross domestic product in 2020. We're spending a lot of money on health. It's interesting to read what the leaders of various religions have said about health. Buddha said, health is the greatest gift, and without health, life is not life. Gandhi taught that it is health that is real wealth and not pieces of gold and silver. Lao Tzu, the, the founder of Taoism, stated, health is the greatest possession. All of them turned to vain philosophies. All of them turned to empty philosophies to, to justify what they believed. They, they thought that the ultimate, that the, that the way that we demonstrated that we were living our best life now, does that sound familiar? That, that the way that we could demonstrate to the world that we were living our best life now was that if we were the picture of virility and health, Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth, beloved. In Exodus 15, 26, as the children of Israel are coming into the promised land, God says to them, and he said, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh Rapha. I, the Lord, am your healer. God reveals to the Israelites that it is in him and him alone that we can find healing. In this psalm, David turned to God. David is in physical pain. Okay, there's no doubt that he was in physical pain. He said that. It's also no doubt that he was in emotional pain, that he was, that he was in psychological pain. He was, I, I mean, honestly, if we had a skilled counselor, or a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, I have no doubt that he would have been diagnosed with clinical depression at this particular stage in his life. But David understood, David understood that where he was going to find healing was in God and in God alone. And so he reached out to God, and we're going to see as we work through this psalm, that David was honest with God. This psalm is a great consolation to those who are suffering. And a great encouragement for us to cry out to God when we're sick. David is teaching us how to pray for healing. We are to cry out to God for his mercy and his grace. Verse 1. Apparently God had been using pain to discipline David. Now, listen beloved, we are not the friends of Job. Okay. 
We are not the friends of Job. We are not going to go to every person that is facing an illness and and accuse them of of bringing this on themselves, of being estranged or, or strayed away from God. Perhaps they are, perhaps they aren't. That's between them and God. What we do understand from this psalm is that David is being brought through a period of chastisement because of some sin that was going on in his life. How do we know that? Oh Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chastise or chasten me in your wrath. We'll get into that in just a moment, but David, listen... David is admitting in verse 1 that there is something in his life that has caused whatever is going on in his life right now. And and as we see in verse 4, we'll get to that in in a little bit. David says, return, O Lord. Let me tell you a secret, beloved. It wasn't God that left. Okay. Wasn't God that moved. It was David that moved, but, you know... There's a song on the radio, and I can't even remember who sings it, but, but it, it, it's something uh, based on, on, on the psalm that talks about if I make my bed in Sheol, there you are. Uh, that it, it's no matter where we are, that's how far God's love will go. And so David, just like the, the, the lost sheep in, in Jesus' parable of the prodigal, has distanced himself from God and he's calling out to God to come back into his life. Now, having said that, that David, that David is going through a period of chastisement because of some sin in his life. Do I believe that all all sickness is a direct result of sin in someone's life? I do not. We live in a fallen and a corrupt world. Why did I get the flu a couple of weeks ago? Oh, I don't know. It could have something to do with the fact that my job seldom has me in schools anymore. And the week before I got the flu, I was in one of our schools every day in every classroom. And that school was just eat up with flu, which I found out later in the week after it was too late to even bother to put a mask on. Okay. But I will tell you this, that when I get sick, I always at least ask the question. I always go to God and say, God, you know I am flat on my back. You have got me where you want me if you want to talk to me because I have no choice but to lay here and listen to what you want to say. Do you need to get my attention through this illness? I always at least ask. It can also, sickness, sickness can also be due to satanic attacks. We see that in Job 2.7. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. 
Job hadn't done anything wrong. Job was not involved in sin. We find that throughout the uh, the book of Job. That's the whole point of the book of Job is that is that God is showing us that that uh, sometimes the enemy comes into our lives and he afflicts us with illness, just like he did with Paul in Second Corinthians twelve seven. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Listen, beloved. How many of y'all would like to have something in your life that is a lifelong remembrance of a struggle with Satan for the rest of your life? You know, I have a lifelong remembrance of there are certain places you should never stick your finger, okay? It's not going to grow back, okay? And and sometimes it hurts. And it reminds me, and, 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 and there are times, and, and, and Angie can attest to this, there are times where I'm just like, no, I'm not sticking any part of my body anywhere close to that, Okay? I'm not going to do that. But Paul was mature enough in his faith that he recognized that God was just pouring so much into his life that he was running the danger of getting full of himself. And so God allowed Satan to torment him by giving him a thorn in the flesh. You want me to tell you what that thorn in the flesh was? Here's the answer. We don't know. If it was important, God would have told Paul to write it down. We don't know. And anyone that tells you they do know is reading things into Scripture. James tells us the same thing in James 1, verses 3 through 6. Did I call the wrong verse? I did. James 5, verses 13 through 16. Sometimes my memory fails me. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church. And they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We do still believe in that, don't we? We do still believe in that, don't we? I do, okay? And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Isn't it so much more interesting when we read our favorite verses in context? Okay. When we read the entire context of, of what God was saying, instead of just picking out the last clause of verse 16 and running with it for any circumstance. David pled with God not to discipline him in anger or in wrath. Now, listen to me, beloved. David's perspective on God was seriously flawed. Okay. David's perspective on God was, was of the nature that if somebody says something, we go, 
you, you better step back and look up. Because God's going to send a lightning bolt down from heaven to, to deal with that. Now listen, brother, you might. But David lives in the time before Jesus. And I want you to understand, God never flies into a rage against his daughters and his sons. God never rebukes us in anger nor chastens us in wrath. Everything that God does is his chastening hand of love drawing us back into a relationship with him. Everything he does, he does because he wants to keep us from harming ourselves and our and others through sin. So because of his sin, David sensed that he was under the rebuke of God. Have you ever had a day where like everything you touched broke? Okay? Everything, I mean, you know, you went to get your coffee cup, and when you pulled it out of the counter, all you had in your hand was the handle. Okay? And it didn't get any better from there. All right? You forgot to put coffee grounds, or you forgot to take the old coffee grounds out, and now you're drinking mud water. Okay? And, and at some point, I, I don't know, when I have days like that, I try to get alone by myself and just say, Lord, you, you know what kind of day I'm having. Lord, if, 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 this is, if this is you trying to get my attention, you've got it. What is it that you need me to learn? What adjustment is it that you want me to make? Lord, if you have ordained that I go through this because you're trying to teach me something, then give me your wisdom to learn what it is that you want me to learn. Because we know that God's chastening hand is not primarily a mark of his displeasure, but a mark of adoption. Hebrews 12, 7. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? <coughs> Excuse me. And so God is showing us that chastening is evidence of our adoption. Now, when God corrects us, it doesn't feel pleasant, but it is good and it is for our good. And so living before the finished work of Jesus, David has less certainty about his standing with God. On this side of the cross, we know that all the anger God has toward the believer was poured out on Jesus at the cross. Isn't that what we celebrated this morning in the Lord's Supper? We celebrated, we marked, we came to an understanding that Jesus drunk to the dregs of the cup, the cup of God's wrath against sin. And so now... We don't need to go to God and say, God, don't chasten me in your wrath. He's not going to do it. He's not going to do it because of the completed work of Jesus. God chastens the believer out of correcting love, not out of anger. 
verses 2 and 3. You know, so often as I read the Bible, I am so thankful. I am so thankful for the very real people that we meet, beginning with Adam and Eve and going all the way through the Bible. These are real people. These are real people. We see all of their faults. We see their victories, but we also see their defeats. We see when they're on the mountaintop and we see when they're in the valley. And beloved, if you were making this up, we'd only see them when they were on the mountaintop. If we were making this up, Psalm 6 would never have made it into the Bible. Because it shows a deeply disturbed king. A king that is going through a period of severe weakness. David recognizes, even though, as we said, his theology of God was less than than complete because he lived on the other side of the cross. David understood that in the midst of physical weakness and pain that he needed to cry out to God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed. Man, have you ever just been at that place where everything hurts? Everything hurts. And that's where David is. And and I believe by the fact that he wrote this down, this has been going on for a while. This is not the three-day flu. Okay, this David is not a drama queen. David is not one that, that you know, that, that, that's going to go, oh, woe is me at the first sign of sickness. This has been going on for a while. I'm sure David has turned to the, to the healers of his time and, and they were unable to bring him any relief. And the difficulty of what David is going through caused him to go to the only place that he knew where he could find relief and find healing. But the problem is that the trials that David was going through were amplified because of his perceived anger uh, of God against him. You want to make a situation worse? Then you just go ahead and believe that God is angry at you. You just go ahead and believe that that God is just waiting for you to make a mistake so that he can take you out or so that he can put the entry in your book that guarantees you're going to go to hell. Listen, beloved, the Bible is very clear where God's wrath is, is, is directed. God's wrath is directed against sin. It's directed against sin. It was poured out, it was satisfied on the cross of Jesus Christ for those who will believe. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be delivered from the kingdom of God's wrath into the kingdom of God's love. 
even though David sensed that he was under the chastisement of God, he still knew that he should ask God to shorten the trial. There is a place for humble resignation. But God wants us to yearn for higher ground. God wants us to yearn for higher ground. Listen, beloved, if you ever played football, okay? If you're like me, you had to run a lot of laps. A lot of laps. My goal was not to run laps. My goal was to run for a touchdown. Now, I never played a position where I actually got to, I don't know, touch the ball. But that was anyone that steps out on the field, right? Your goal is not to run the laps. The laps are to make you stronger and to teach you to, to, to do what you need to do. The chastisement is not the goal. The goal is to be ready for the game. The goal is to be in game shape and ready to do what the coach asked you to do. And David understands that the goal of his life is not chastisement. He may have to go through the chastisement of God, but he knows that God wants him to yearn for bigger and better things. David seems... Aren't you glad we don't do this? David seems more sorry for the pain that is in his life as a result of whatever sin he committed than he was for the sin in the first place. Aren't you glad we don't do this? Aren't you glad when we're reaping the consequences of our sin that, that we're not, uh, you know, some sad sack and we don't get upset that we're being punished because of the, of the consequences of our sin? Some believers are hesitant to petition God for their own needs. They believe that it is somehow godly or never to ask God for anything for themselves. Scripture does not teach that. Verse 2, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed. Throughout this, this, this song, verse 4, rescue my soul, save me, okay? David is asking God to become personally involved in his life. David recognizes that he is the one that made this mess, and the only way that this mess can be fixed is if God comes into his life and begins to do his redemptive work in his soul. David begged God for mercy. He begged God for mercy, and God showed it to him. David described his condition to the Lord. Now, why is that important? Don't we believe that God is omniscient? I mean, we do, don't we? We believe that God knows all things. So why in the world would I need to describe my condition to God so that I can be honest with God? So that I can get an accurate, you know? How many of y'all, if, if you had an accident and your arm was hanging on by just two 
uh, uh, threads of flesh and somebody saw you and they said, how you doing? And you go, I'm, oh, I'm fine. Just fine, got a little cut here. It, it'd be all right. It'd be all right. How many times do we go to God and say, God, I got this. I, I, I just need you to take me over the finish line. I, I got 99% of it. I, I, I just need you a little bit. No, beloved, we need him completely. David says, I am tiny away. You want me to translate that into modern English? God, I'm dying over here. I'm dying. This is killing me. I can't take it anymore. Heal me, O Lord, because I am in physical pain because of everything that is happening in my life right now. He is describing to God the pain that he is in. And note that his emotional pain was far worse than his physical pain. Physically, he was in agony, but emotionally, he was in anguish. Verses 4 and 5. Now David's starting to get an understanding. Now he calls out to God for God's deliverance. Return, O Lord. Again, we said at the beginning, it's not God that left. God didn't left. God didn't left. God didn't leave. It was David that left. And he's moved. And the problem is, is that where he's moved to, he doesn't know how to get back to where God is. And so he's asking God, return to me, O God. Rescue my soul. And God, I'm asking you to save me on the basis of your covenant love with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob and with the covenant that you have made uh, with me. Rescue me because of your loving kindness. Now David is moving into the realm of grace. Verses 6 and 7. God's chastening hand was heavy upon David. His life seemed to be nothing but tears. Back in verse 3, David expressed the hearts of so many suffering people when he cried out, How long? How long? You ever been there? You ever been there? You're going through a trial? Are you praying for something? Are you praying for somebody? Y'all understand that there are people I've been praying for their salvation for over 20 years? Over 20 years. I've been praying for the salvation of some people. None that y'all know. I, I don't want you to go now. Who are you talking about me? No, I'm not. But there are people that I've been praying for their salvation for over 20 years. And, you know, you just want to go to God and cry out, God, how long? How long? How long am I to pray for this individual? How long do I need to do this, oh God? How long, oh Lord, should I pray for healing in my life? How long, oh God, should I pray for healing in the life of someone that I love? Do you understand what David is doing here? What, what God is doing here? God is giving us permission to be honest with Him. To be honest with Him. You know, 
we Southerners have a way of showing a high level of passive aggressiveness, right? Bless our hearts. When we talk about somebody, we go, bless their heart. That's passive aggressive, okay? God has given us permission to be absolutely honest with him. Come to him and say, oh God, how long? He gives us permission to question him. He gives us permission to cry out to him in our pain. Because, beloved, if our prayers are not honest, then they are not prayers. Let me say that again. If our prayers are not honest, then they are not prayers. Scripture teaches us that it is not wrong to question God when we are suffering as long as we ask in faith and trust and not in doubt. God promises to give us wisdom and insight and understanding if we deal with the trials and sufferings of life. Now it's James 1. I was confused before. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. Listen, beloved, if, if I make as the pastor of this church a decision that you don't agree with, what good does it do for you to go and ask one of my deacons why I made that decision? They probably don't know. Okay? Come and ask me, and I'll explain it to you. James is saying the same thing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. If you don't understand what's going on in the kingdom of God, then here's a thought, ask God. If you don't understand what's going on in the world, then ask God because he gives to all generously and without reproach. Hello? We miss that sometimes. We miss that sometimes. If we ask God, he will give it to us without reproach. Do you understand what that means? That's a fancy word. That means God is not going to get mad. When I go to him and say, God, I don't understand. Give me wisdom. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. The one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. In that verse in Exodus we looked at a few moments ago, when the Israelites came to the bitter waters of Marah, God revealed himself to them by a new name, a new dimension of his character. He revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, the great physician. The one who heals all of your diseases. Listen to me, beloved. I'm not copping out on you. God heals all our diseases. Period. How can I say that? How can I say that? I mean, those of y'all that, that have been here throughout my entire ministry at Concord know that in the first six months that I was here, I buried six people, including a deacon, no, I'm sorry, a, a chairman, a trustee, member of the uh, nominating or the, the pulpit committee that called me here. I did two funerals in one day. 
God heals all our diseases. How can the Bible make this claim when so many diseases are terminal and result in death? Here are three ways that Jehovah Rapha heals. Sometimes he heals naturally. Our bodies are amazing machines. I, I think it might be somewhere in the Bible that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are designed by our Creator to naturally restore and rejuvenate certain things in our body. God has also given humanity incredible knowledge about the body. He has revealed to us how to use medicines as well as procedures and treatments to help heal our bodies. Listen to me. Even if the doctor is not a believer. Hello? We do believe that God can use someone who's not a believer to accomplish his will, don't we? If God can use a jackass to call his prophet back in line, then I'm going to allow that he could use a doctor to accomplish his will as well. And I don't mean that in the mean way that it sounded. Sometimes he heals supernaturally. There's not a person in this room that hadn't seen God move supernaturally. There's not a person in this room that we hadn't prayed over people, that we hadn't laid hands on them, that we hadn't anointed them with oil. Yes, I do still believe that. Okay? And then just step back and we go, God, go. Go, God, go. Bring honor and glory to yourself right here, right now. And let us declare your praises to the world. And sometimes he heals ultimately and finally. This one took me a while to get my mind wrapped around. Let me share with you you something that you may not have ever thought about. You know all those people that Jesus healed during his earthly ministry? Guess what happened to every single one of them? They died. You remember Lazarus? And you remember the widow's little boy that he raised from the dead? Guess what happened to them? They died. Every single one of them died. And a lot of us would look at death and would say that it is a a defeat. No. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? You know, it's going to be amazing when I wake up in heaven. It's back. Amen? It's back. And I won't need these. I heard this lady when I was driving home from work the uh, other day. They had this thing going on K-Love. And she called in and said she'd gone through this dark night of the soul and she cried out to God. She'd worn glasses for over 20 years. She no longer needs glasses. God touched her and healed her, her vision. It'll be amazing when, when, when we get to heaven. I heard one preacher preach a sermon one time and said there's going to be the biggest junk pile outside the gates of heaven you've ever seen in your life with walkers and wheelchairs and, and glasses and canes and, and all this other stuff. But listen to me, beloved. This body, God healed me of the flu, Amen. But this body is subject to the next one that comes around. 
if whatever vaccine they gave me was still the wrong one, okay? But when I get to heaven, ain't no flu ever going to touch me. This body will never again be subject to disease and decay and death. And I don't know what they call that where you come from, but where I come from, we call that healing. Healing. Perfect and absolute healing. Verses 8 through 10. Do you notice the shift? Do you notice that something obviously has changed between verses 7 and 8? My eye has wasted away with grief and has become old because of all my adversaries. Depart from me. All you who do iniquity. You want to get a clue? How many of y'all's mama said you run with the garbage you get taken out with the trash? You reckon David had been running with the garbage? And that was the problem that he was dealing with I don't mean that in a mean way. I know that sounds awful mean, but I don't mean that in a mean way. I'm just using a southern idiom to make a point. <laughs> David had been running with the wrong crowd. He'd fallen in with the wrong people. There was a famous boxer that was converted to Jesus a number of years ago during the Second Great Awakening in, in England. And a crowd of his companions gathered outside the revival to ridicule him. Boy, those are the kind of friends you want, isn't it? They said he's getting converted. What about the belt? He'll either have to fight for it or give it up. The boxer replied, I'll both give it up and you up. If you won't go with me to heaven, I won't go with you to hell. Hello? David says, depart from me, <coughs> all who do iniquity. Now, some of, some of us would go. Well, that includes all of us, because we all do iniquity. All have sinned and continue to sin and fallen short of the glory of God. David is not talking about the sin that, that we find ourselves uh, in from time to time. David is talking about the setting sin. David is talking about those who habitually sin. He's talking about those who make a lifestyle of sin. About those who have con consciously and consistently turned their back on Jehovah Rapha. That have turned their back on the God who heals and said, I don't need him in my life. I am able to manage my own life my way. Thank you very much. David is at the point in verse 8 where he's released his suffering to the Lord. Depart from me. Because the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. See, beloved, something changed between verse 7 and verse 8. In verse 7, my eye has wasted away with grief. Have you ever cried so much you just felt like you couldn't cry anymore? That's where David is in verse 7. And in verse 8, the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. He heard me and he's doing something about it. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my Prayer. David now knows 
that God has restored his fellowship with him. He no longer feels alienated from God. He's confessed his sin and has been restored to a right relationship with God. Don't you wish there was a verse in the Bible that said something like that? Something that went along the lines that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive them. David has confessed and God has restored him. And then he gives warning to his enemies that he would soon be on his feet again. And like David, we too can be bold against our enemies when we have sought the Lord and are filled with the confidence of his favor. This psalm has a very important message for us. God desires our holiness and will take whatever action is necessary to produce it in our lives. Say that again so it sinks in. God desires our holiness and will take whatever action is necessary to produce it in our lives. More than anything else, God desires our fellowship. When we harbor sin in our hearts, our fellowship with God is severed. If we continue in sin, God will chasten us because he loves us. He corrects us for our profit, produce righteousness in our lives. Oh, beloved, when David was at the end of his rope, he cried out to God to forgive him and heal him, and God lifted his chastening hand from him. And that, beloved, is mercy in times of trouble. Will we turn to God in our times of trouble?